0: All righty. Very kind, very kind. I'm sorry. I thought there was something else going on between before me, so I wasn't quite ready to run up here. So anyway, great to see everybody on this beautiful Friday. We got homecoming weekend, lots of sports. We got volleyball, soccer. We got lots hanging going on here at the university over the weekend, and uh, so hopefully take advantage of all of that. Get your Bibles ready. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to turn our our heart there. Um, I really, one thing I enjoy about chapels, at this stage of my life, um, stage of my life, like it's a big stage of life, you can't categorize every stage of your life as it's going to automatically, you just kind of get a pattern or a genre as you look at other people's lives, their leadership experiences and journeys. So, yeah, getting ready uh, uh, to turn 59 here in a few days, but also a year away from 60. 60. That's a big number, uh, 60. I was in a meeting yesterday, all of our university leaders in our president's council, and I'm the oldest guy in the room. And I go, that just, it's just remarkable how that flips uh, with life. But with that said, I think one of the things I can bring to your life in my role is to share with you, not, you know, blow the dust off some old thought, but to to give away uh, the things that have mattered most uh, to my life in the scripture, Uh, make them fresh, make them uh, prophetically for right this minute but to be able to give away some of the uh, critical passages of Scripture in my life that were either given to me or were discovered uh, in my life, and then some of the great stories of my life that have happened. Um, I'm not here to debate uh, personalities and controversial figures. Just know that anybody who's made a mark in this world is controversial. Anybody. If you've done something great, somebody is either jealous of it, doesn't agree with it, uh, failed at it, um, and there's going to be a reaction. You'll never have 100% of anything when it comes to if you're dealing with people. And so I'm not telling this story to endorse anything. I'm just telling you a little story in my life uh, of when I was 13 something that happened that was fascinating that had you know from 1975 to 2002 kind of had a 27 year storyline to it so i moved to redding california when i when i in 1976 i was born in 62 so when i was 13 i moved to redding california i was turning 13 in september of 1976 my parents, we moved constantly. Um, you know, I have the number 27 is often in my social media. They go, what's the 27 all about? I say, well, that's, that's how many times I moved by the time I was 16. So by the time I was 16, I lived in 27 different places. Houses, apartments, lived in a car for a little bit. My mom and dad worked hard, um, but we were always moving. My dad trying to find work. We lived in Colorado, Oregon, Washington. I've told you that story. And out of all that chaos the lord used it he transacted it into my adult life that gave me skill sets to be in any setting and get past my nervousness to go and introduce myself to somebody because we're in a different playground every september k through 8th you either fight or you learn to make friends and walk up and strike up a conversation because i had no familiarity ever in my childhood so but it didn't produce anger. It actually produced uh, some skill sets um, in my life that are that are very, very meaningful at this stage of my life um, that I've used my whole life. So but part of those moves you know, brought us uh, to Redding, California, up in the northern part of California in the summer of 76. The reason we moved there was my grandma and grandpa lived there. We were living in Bellevue, Washington, across the lake from Seattle. Um, and I, that's where I'd spent kind of Issaquah, Bellevue, renting, living it all in the Northwest area up there, moving, 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 apartment after apartment. So we moved to California. My aunt had died of cancer up in Redding, California. And my dad just said, I just need a new start, fresh start. I said, Yeah, because you haven't had one of those in nine months. Uh, so let's get another fresh start. Um, so we moved to Redding, uh, live with my grandma and grandpa, Fred and Edith Ellers. And he was not my biological grandfather. He was my uh, step-grandpa. Because my first grandpa, I told you the story, he, he cheated on my grandma. They found grandpa in the trunk of a car with a, with a woman. They were hiding from grandma. I've told that story, and people say, how little was he? Because you're like, you're like, how little would you have to be to be in a trunk? Two people in the trunk of a car? What is this? I said, no, back in the day you could put six or seven dead bodies in the trunk of a car. That's what they, they were humongous. You could live back there. Half the car was the trunk. Am I telling the truth? That's where they put the dead people. Uh, um, So grandpa was in the trunk of a Buick with a lady. Grandma found him. And uh, that was, she probably closed the trunk back up again and threw away the key. And, uh, um, but that was the end of that marriage. And we joke about it, but it was, that's what happened. So grandma um, was single, raising five little kids, and then she remarried a man who was a drunk that had got crazy saved in an Oral Roberts meeting in Oklahoma, was crazy saved, delivered of alcoholism, and he was a surveyor, which is a fancy name for a draftsman, which is another nerd word for... An architect, which is kind of a word for an engineer, but this is back in the day when they used pencils and paper to design everything. So he had his little business in his garage in Redding, California, radically changed his life. And I thought they were rich because they drove a $10,000 Cadillac. They lived in a $100,000 house. And when we went out, he could buy a $10 steak. That's how you knew people were rich in 1976. If they could afford a $10 steak, live in a $100,000 house and drive a $10,000 car, they were loaded So grandpa, he was nice to me. He loved me. He wasn't my biological grandpa. He helped pay my way to Bible school. When I was in eighth grade, we had a banquet. I had no clothes. He went out and bought me my first blazer. Uh, We went to Sears, um, which was uh, a notch above uh, Sprouse Reitz, you know, to get your clothes. So um, Sears was pretty... Low ball when it came to fashion but i got my blazer this blue blazer with these humongous lapels that just were they were huge you could you could make an entire another suit out of the lapel if you cut it down they were way out here big wide things but i was styled I have my black platform shoes my saturday night live shoes and uh my john travolta pants you know my big angel flights and a silk shirt little puka shells around the neck um I tried to find a photo of this, but it would probably ruin our relationship. Um, (laughs) So moved to Redding and we started going to Grandma and Grandpa's church. It was called Bethel Church in Redding, California. It was pastored, pastored by two graduates of North Central University. Earl Johnson, he's from Wilmer, came here, got saved, uh, he got saved in Wilmer. He was saved in Wilmer. Came here, called the ministry, graduated, and became a music teacher here for a few years. There was a young woman, a girl named Darlene Morgan from Alexandria, Virginia, or Virginia. Alexandria, Minnesota, over there, by the edge, over there. She came here. Darlene Morgan. Darlene and Earl met here, fell in love, got married. They weren't supposed to. It was against the rules. Uh, I guess, to get married as a student. I think it was against the rules. Of course, we wanted Christians to build great Christian families. We just didn't want you to get married, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand that philosophy, that path. i got to go back and check the policy manual on that. Like, don't we want them to get married? So anyway, they got married, taught here, then went to Downey, California, then to Sacramento, California. And what's crazy, in Sacramento, California, they became great friends with my wife's parents back in the 1960s. And we're in a trio together, the Earl Johnson Trio. And at my father-in-law's funeral a couple weeks ago, we played the song of Darlene, Earl, and my father-in-law, Bob Coppinger, singing together in this weird collision of galaxies. And then, but then back in the 70s, the Johnsons, they were the music pastors at that church, then moved to Redding, California, and took this church of about two or 300 people. So we started attending this church. They had a 13 year old son named Bob, Bobby Johnson who became my best friend. Bobby was a great dude. He, he was, uh, we both love hoop and all that. We're 13 and all we did was watch Mork and Mindy and shoot hoops, man. That's just, that was life in the 70s. Um, he goes, what did he just say? So, so, um, so it was a TV show. So anyway, we're i met this church. Bobby had an older brother named Bill that was, that was 23. Bill had super long hair. He had these hippie boots up to here. This was the mid-70s. It was, and uh, I, I didn't like him. I was scared of him. Because uh, um, when you're 13, you're scared of everybody that's older. Because they're going to catch you uh, doing what you shouldn't be doing. So we go to the, to the all-church church um, they have this big Memorial Day, Labor Day thing down there at the park, and the whole church is down there, outdoors, having fun, eating. And Bobby and I make water balloons, and we start throwing water balloons at the people from behind these bushes. We're just <laughs> bombing water balloons on these 60- and 70-year-old people. <laughs> and we're having a blast. No one knows where they're coming from. We're down at Lake Reading Park. All of a sudden, I was getting more bold with my bombing technique, and I had this water balloon, and I kind of stepped out from behind this bush, and there's Bill Johnson, Bobby's older brother, 23. Now, my family, we lived in a single wide, not a double wide, a single wide mobile home at this point in time. We were single wide people, not double wide, but we lived in a mobile home. Dad didn't have a job, it was tough. My pride and joy was this black plastic baseball helmet that had the San Francisco Giants logo on it. It's probably a $2.50 baseball hat, plastic batters helmet. I wore it every day. You know, I had my big old John Travolta feathered back hairdo, and I had my my San Francisco Giants baseball hat on. It was a cheap piece, but it was my pride and joy. It's the only thing I had. You ever saw the movie Castaway, Wilson, the, the volley? This was my Wilson. This was my hat. I wore it everywhere. It was signature. Everybody knew me because I had that black San Francisco Giants, and it's all I had. I don't know how I got it. So I have this thing on, and I'm bombing. All of a sudden, I step out from behind the bush, and there's Bill, about from here to the back wall. And something came over me a demon spirit. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Legion it came upon me and I threw this water balloon It felt like a hundred miles an hour bills like this in slow motion he turns the water balloon is coming <laughs> It's a headshot it was awesome. I got him with a head shot direct hit but when it was halfway there, I said to myself, uh-oh. <laughs> you should have aimed this at an 80-year-old, not him. You just I hit Bill Johnson in the head with a water balloon. <laughs> He's not fully sanctified, not fully full of the Holy Ghost yet. He goes into a 22, 23-year-old rage. He goes, and he sees me. He knows I'm hanging out with his little brother. I've been at the church a couple months. And I said, oh, and he took off in a full sprint toward me. I'm running for my life. True story. I'm running for my life. My hat flies off my head. True story, I turned around. This is where they get the scene in Castaway. This was Wilson, this was Wilson. Wilson! Bill is about 20 feet from the hat, 20 yards. From the- I got about 10 10- feet, I go, if I go back to get the hat, I'm dead, I'm dead. I have to leave the hat so I just keep running. My big John Travolta hair in the wind. <laughs> I look back, Bill gets to my hat. He's in a rage. He's breathing fire. He goes, he takes his foot and goes. And he crushes my hat into about 40 pieces. Explodes it. Stomps back to the event. My hat. My hat. Here we go real quick. I run away for the next 20 years. I never forgot that outburst of anger in Bill Johnson. Now, Bill and I became friends. We actually both served as presbyters in the Assemblies of God in the 90s. We were on committees. Bobby and I became roommates in Bible school. Darlene and Earl are the two closest people in my life. They're like a second mom and dad. Bill was in this little town of Weaverville long before he went to Bethel Church of Reading. little side story, 1997, I was invited. I was pastoring my church, and I'm from Reading, so that church called me to be the pastor, Bethel Church of Reading. And they called me six times to be the pastor of that church. And I said, I don't want to go back to Reading. I grew up there. I don't really want to go back to Reading. Why don't you call Bill? Well, we don't want to do that. We'll go backwards as dad pastor. We're looking for, call Bill. So ultimately, told him no. Ultimately, a month later, Bill Johnson was named the pastor of that church. Now think about that for just a second. I almost screwed up. There would never have been Jesus culture, the song Holy Spirit, or uh, the Bethel Church music if I had stepped out of the will of God and became the pastor of that church. Is that crazy? I'm not saying that that's true. I mean, God, I'm sure, would have blessed it. But when you live this long, you have all these weird things that happen in your life. It's now 2002. Bill and I have talked about the hat story several times. Here's my point today. Bill is now on the cover of Curbs of Magazine. It's 2002 or three. Jesus culture is blown up around the world. All this is going on. And one day I get a package on my desk Then Bill sent me a note. He said, hey, Scott, I'm in Sweden. I was praying. And the Holy Spirit showed me that back in 1976, I created some trauma in the heart of a 13-year-old because I couldn't control my temper. I know we've talked about it. We've laughed about it through the years. But I want to send this to you and I opened up the package and it was a San Francisco Giants batter's helmet. This guy doesn't need to do anything at this stage of his life. We've already laughed and joked about it 20 times, but he said, I know we've said those things, but the Lord wants me to make rest- restitution. Here's my point. For the rest of your life, I want you to pay close attention to your walk with God and surgically deal with everything the Holy Spirit tells you to do in your life, to care so deeply about your Christian faith, your walk with the Lord, your intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that he could remind you of something 25 years ago. Now, the Lord had forgiven. This isn't a heaven or hell issue. This is a freedom issue. This is an authority issue. This is an obedience issue to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Romans chapter 5 tells us, gives us a very powerful pattern. I may spend a few Fridays here in the book of Romans. Romans, I love the book of Romans. Um, Dr. Tennis and I were talking about the book of Romans this week a little bit. Romans uh, is powerful. Romans 1 is all about the Gentile world and all about the details of what lostness looked like in the pagan Non Jewish world. And it's pretty brutal when you read Romans 1 of what everyone was doing in their pursuit of enlightenment and freedom and pleasure. It's a pretty ugly depiction. And it correlates it to the depravity of a, of a human heart, the free fall of, of a human being that is immersed and committed to self and to reject the nature and power of God, the outcome of that life. It's pretty ugly. But then Romans 2, it flips and Paul turns his attention to the Jewish people who were hypocrites. These were the religious people that were preaching and teaching about a moral standard. And behind the scenes, none of them lived up to what they were telling everybody else to do. Gentiles, they weren't telling anybody to do anything. There was no moral standard. They were very blatant and open about their sin. The Jewish people, however, gave a false face to who they really were, made everybody else try to obey the commands of of the Lord, but they privately were committing adultery, lying, stealing, cheating. And the Bible says in Romans 2 that because of the way that the hypocrisy of the Jews, it says the name of God is blasphemed. It's made fun of. It's misunderstood globally because of how you behave, your hypocrisy. Romans 3, Paul talks about Anybody that didn't find themselves in Romans 1 and anybody that didn't find themselves in Romans 2, guess what? The whole earth is inhabited by people whose throats are an open grave, whose tongues spew the poison of serpents. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul's making his case for the gospel by explaining that we're all in the exact same condition. We may travel it differently, those outside the church... Reckless in their sin, brazen, mocking uh, religion, the things of God. The people in the church, look how, oh, what those people lost. People that grow up religious, who have every advantage given to them, but have turned all of those advantages, twisted them into a license to sin, and have become hypocrites, they're no different than the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are no better than the religious hypocrites. I tell people, people think Pharisees' friends are found in the church. Let me tell you, yeah, there's some Pharisees in the church. You know where most of the Pharisees live? Washington, D.C. Most of the Pharisees' friends are outside the church acting religious as though I'm right with God, but I live as an elitist. I, I, can, I, can give, I can give all kinds of characteristics. What I'm saying is that Romans 1 and Romans 2, is, it's two different highways that are both headed full speed in the same direction. You can drive across the United States of America from California to the East Coast. You can either take Highway 80, or you can take Highway 50, or you can take 90 from Seattle that way, 50, from the Bay Area and Highway 80 from Sacramento this way. You can take Interstate 40 across the country. You can take several different full-speed highways all headed in the same direction, but they go by a different number. There's many ways that we live out our lostness. Our depravity comes in several different, travels several different highways. That highway tends to point fingers at that highway, and this highway points at that highway. But there's a a lot of ways to get to all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then Paul makes his case. Then he says, <clears throat> he explains to us that the only way forward is out of this chaos is by faith in a very singular person <clears throat> and message. <clears throat> Not Christianity, Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Jesus. And then he gives us the example in the Old Testament of Abraham in chapter 4. Of this is what faith looks like through Abraham, but what it looks like for a person to put their faith in Christ Jesus. Both Jew and Gentile are invited in Romans chapter 4 to experience life through Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 5, he shifts. I just want to read this text to you, and we'll pick this up. Chapter 5 says in my little writing here. Uh, I should have brought my glasses. Here we go. You got it on the screen? There we go. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, that word justification. What is justification? It means to be in right standing with God. If this was the cross, this pulpit, and this was the Old Testament, and this was the New Testament, the word justification would be sitting above us how a person in the old testament was justified before god was a lot like this anybody ever had a credit card in your life no yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) anybody ever have a credit card with a balance that you couldn't pay off so you made minimum payments every month yeah we all have we all will um no a minimum payment Watch this, a minimum payment on the credit card, okay, keeps the creditors away, it holds back judgment. It doesn't remove the debt, friends. It simply keeps back the judgment. In the Old Testament, we're born with a debt because of Adam's sin, and all of the Old Testament agricultural and blood sacrifices were simply minimum payments on the credit card it never dealt with the debt it could simply it simply held back the judgment so what happened when jesus came and a person was in right standing with god through these minimum payments on the credit card and by looking toward the hope of the coming promise looking toward the cross we can go deeper in that in the days ahead now watch this it says here let me paraphrase and we're going to revisit this because it's critical And it goes back to the Bill Johnson story. I have two minutes. Here we go. Romans five says, we've been introduced by faith, this ability to look at the life and the promises of God, the life of God through creation in the Old Testament that has become singular, the life of God through Christ in the new. So there's no ambiguity It's like a funnel, man. The Old Testament was filled with all types of types and shadows and all these stories. And then over time, it became very singular as grace and truth are realized in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a dilemma for the planet. Because a planet that presents multiple religions has a conflict because of the statements and the narrowness of who Jesus is. That there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As much as we are tolerant, and compassionate, loving of our neighbors, we must be very careful to understand the gospel is the only message that brings eternal life and justification of man to God. It's through Jesus in Him alone. So faithfulness to that message brings an automatic conflict between you and the majority of your generation. Okay, let's stand together, friends. So here we go. Paul says, justified by faith. We're gonna go into some prayer and fasting time. I'll invite Vinny if he can come up to the piano here. Justification, right standing with God. Therefore, because we're now in right standing with God, he said, um, rejoice in your tribulations. The word there for tribulation is thlipsis. Say that with me. Thlipsis. Thlipsis. It's a great spit word. Thlipsis. It means a harnessing, a restriction, a narrowing. It means pressure. We rejoice in daily pressure, daily narrowing, daily restrictions, daily cares. Not the great tribulation. Explained to us through the book of Daniel and also in the book of Revelation, which is a time period with notable events that mark the great tribulation. This word for tribulation is different. This is the daily cares, the restrictions and narrowing of life, the burden of doing life every day. How do you rejoice in that? The only way you can rejoice in tribulation is to know where this whole thing's headed. And Paul gives us a very simple outline. He says, we rejoice in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces endurance or perseverance. The word there is a great word. It simply means to remain behind. Why is perseverance a word for remaining behind? The idea is, is when you're caught in a storm, you run for shelter. The Christian who's been changed by the gospel, who has chosen Christ understands that the new mindset, the great mindset of the Christian, is that before I was a Christian, I was known for one thing. I always ran from my problems. I ran. I ran and hid. I ran and hid. The new characteristic is that I remain in the storm. I remain behind instead of running for cover. Most young leaders people my age we all run when it gets tough so the characteristic of christianity foremost is the ability to stay in a problem instead of run from it face life face adversity face weakness face shortcomings i'm going to remain tribulation daily pressure produces endurance i'm going to stay behind Knowing that endurance produces uh, character. And it says proven character. Why, if I stay in the storm, how does that produce character? Character is this new repetition of behavior. And the Bible says it produces proven character, right on Romans 5, which means that I'm not experimenting with Christianity right now. I'm staying in the storm long enough until my behavior actually transforms and changes so that when the storm passes, I won't revert back to my old way of living. So God leaves the problem on you long enough in order for you to discover your own transformation. You see, friends, it's not about us, our faith growing because the gospel has changed the world. Our faith grows when we see the gospel has changed me because I live with me on a daily basis. I look in the mirror every day. So I'm in the storm because I love the Lord. I'm beginning to see my voice is dropping. Uh, I'm not screaming and yelling. I'm not hiding. I'm collaborating. I'm staying in community rather than isolating. I'm confessing my fault instead of just keeping secrets. I'm starting to behave differently. My character's changing. And the Bible says here, and here's the rap, that pressure produces perseverance perseverance produces proven character and proven character produces hope a hope that doesn't disappoint do you know why most people uh think christianity is worthless most of them there's no hope it says it produces hope the hope that doesn't disappoint why are so many people then disappointed in their christian faith because they've jumped out of the process long before they experienced transformation and change. They said, man, I I gave this a minute, I'm out here, I'm gonna run and and I'm gonna gonna default to my old behaviors. I'm gonna run from everything in life. I always got right here and I run. I run to anger, I run to isolation, I run to sin. Um, I'm gonna run, no, I'm gonna stay in the pressure, stay in the storm, I'm gonna remain behind. I have to behave differently and I'm going to behave differently according to the character of Christ long enough for it to become proven character. And proven character produces hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. Now, we're going to go a little deeper with this in the days ahead, but, but back to the Bill story. 25 years later, he's still tending to proven character. He's told me some other things privately how the Holy Spirit was dealing with him with his anger in life. And the Holy Spirit said... This goes way back. You need to deal with this. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to find and send this just as an act of humility. Uh, He's a global leader. He didn't just send some guy a hat. Come on. But when I find believers that care that deeply about keeping their heart on course, it's powerful, friends. It's powerful. I don't care whether they're Baptist, Pentecostal, prophetic, what I don't care. When I find a Christian who cares deep, I'm tending to their heart, it inspires my life. I want us to, we're going to go to a time of prayer. I'm going to invite some of the faculty here. If you can go, uh, if you can stay for a few minutes, if you need personal prayer, our culture on Fridays is if you've come here, there's something from home or something going on in your own life. Man, I just wanna pray with somebody. They're up here. We're gonna just keep the chapel open till 12:30 here, till 12:30. For forty-five minutes, we're gonna stay and pray. If you want to get in a circle with pe- with uh, some men and women from your dorms, your brother sister floors, or whatever, and pray for each other for a minute on Fridays, man, make that part of your regular culture. If you gotta to get to class, I totally get it. Some of you have class. For those who can stay and pray and spend some time with the Lord, this place is wide open for you. We're gonna have a great homecoming weekend. God is good. We're gonna to go to prayer now, and any of the other faculty or admin that, that can be up here to pray with people, please make yourself available. Lord, we just ask, God, as we begin to seek you on this Friday, Jesus, that you would bless, Lord, those that need to get out of here, God, to go do life, Lord, bless their steps, those that can hang for 10 minutes or 45 minutes, God, just begin to fill this room, Jesus, anew with your power and your presence, Lord, and we give you the glory and the honor and the praise today in Jesus' mighty name, amen. This is going to be a prayer meeting now. Uh, If you can stay for a couple minutes, great. Stay with us the whole time, great. God's grace be on you guys. Have a phenomenal weekend. Thank you, Jesus.